Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. I'm Michael, and with me is my constant companion, Cameron. Yep. Today, we are continuing Episode 9 of Homestuck Made This World with Partisode 9-2, in which we read uh, some stuff, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, any any uh, thoughts or reactions here at the top? A little update. I've completed F-Boy Island Season yes. 2. Mm-hmm. It gets wild. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but let me tell you this. Let me spoil one thing. During mansplating, which is when all the fellas get together and shit-talk each other ruthlessly Mm -hmm. on the program. During mansplaining. Wait, how does the respect thing figure into that? That's out the window. Oh, okay. But, but, you know, I I will be honest. It is funny because they say, bro, you know I respect you, right? (laughs) Oh, you this suck is... shit, bro. Oh, it's like perfect masculinity. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but some wild stuff happens. A uh, you know, a guy comes back. I'll say this. I think uh, the finale of F Boy Island season two is deeply disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Because it breaks the rules of uh, of the program. Now, I'm just going to spoil it. <laughs> Turns out it's an here. archipelago. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not a lake; it's an ocean. That's yeah. the real. Uh, it's the real spoiler. <laughs> the uh, I'm going to spoil it. So, uh, skip forward five minutes if you want to experience F Boy Island season two finale for yourself. I don't think it, this will change very much. I don't think knowing. Uh, what happens at the end changes very much of the program. You get to the last episode. All these ladies, there's three ladies, and they've all chosen a man. Yeah, yeah. Or there are two two men, and they will choose a man. So uh, one of them, she's got an f boy and a nice guy because they've all had to self disclose at this point, right? So she's got an f boy and a nice guy. And so so the the mystery of the end of F Boy Island is, of course, you know if they're an f boy or a nice guy now. If they're an F-boy, you know, they lock in their choice before they get to the final selection. So if they're an F-boy and they like you and you like them and you choose them, then you both split the money, right? Mm-hmm. You, you split $100,000. And uh, if they said, no, I want the money, and you said, I, you know, I do, uh, you know, I like you, then they get the F-boy gets all the money. At the opening of the final selection... Nikki Glazer comes out and says, Wild card. <laughs> you can choose no one and take all the money yourself, ladies. Okay? Mm-hmm. Right. So, which is not uh, particularly exciting, one way or the other, right? I mean, I don't but know. Is... It seems exciting to Lucky Nell. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so, but but in terms of game rules, in terms of twists, whatever, right? Not particularly interesting, right? right. Like, uh, there's no drama to it. It's added privately. The F-boys don't know about it. The, the, the men on the island don't know about it. It's just the women who know this, right? Mm-hmm. And the audience and Nikki Glazer. So they get there, and then, like, one lady, uh, she's chosen uh, an F-boy and a nice guy, and she chooses one of them. Who cares? <laughs> and then the, the second one, uh, she's only got two F-boys. You know what I mean? Like she's made some some uh, one might say undesirable choices, depending on your opinion on the game. Mm-hmm. And she chooses one guy, 
And then the other guy like storms off and does probably the most mature thing I've ever seen anyone on a reality show do because she kind of chases him around, definitely producer directed, right? To like get some drama going because he just leaves, right? He's like walks off and she's like, I'm so sorry. You know, she's like crying, all this kind of stuff. And he is stone faced and just says, you made a choice. I think you made the wrong choice and I don't want to talk to you anymore. I liked you a lot. (laughs) <laughs> and he was like i just don't want to i you know i don't i don't want to keep doing this i don't like this i and he doesn't say i don't want to continue making content for people right but that's basically what he's saying right I, right i'm done with the reality show now i'm going to leave um and i found that very uh fun to watch the last person gets to the last lady and she says uh hey i like you i like you but I'm choosing no one. I'm choosing myself. I'm an F girl. Okay? <laughs> Which is not really pre-established. Unless, you know, this happens. And then they do a super cut of every time she's ever said something selfish on the show. <laughs> In the most hussy, homestuck-ass way, right? Right. It, it, they totally changed the rules at the 11 and a half hour, right? Mm-hmm. In order to make this work. And then they justify it by just cherry picking every goofily fun, you know, uh, selfish thing she's ever said on the show. Right. And, she, right. and at one point she does say, I'm an F girl. Uh huh. <laughs> but so the, the, the dudes are standing there unaware of this rule, right? Uh, or I think they've been told 10 seconds beforehand, right? They're told like during the choosing process. And they're both like, what? What are you talking? And then, they, and then they go to the talking head interviews, and they're like, I don't know. This sucks. I don't. It's not. It's kind of a bummer. So, so like, everyone's just disappointed. There's no shock to it at all, right? I mean, the shock is manufactured if there is any, right? But right. it's like, of course you would choose to just take $100,000. Yeah. Like, to even, look, if, I don't I'm just... To even entertain the conceit, if you're on the romancing side, right? I'm looking for love. To even entertain the conceit of doing anything other than taking the $100,000 is foolish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, just a basic way, right? And so, like, she's fun. Like, you know, I think she's a good character or whatever. It seems to me, I think it is setting up a season, uh, you know, a next program if they keep doing it due to all the HBO Max kind of shake-up stuff. I do think the next season will be an F girl island season. And then at least one of the men will be these men who got fucked over. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's just too easy. Right. Uh, not to do. Right. 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 Um, I mean, they're going to uh, do a scratch pl- and everything will get transposed. Yeah. Right. That. Yes. Right. I it, literally, there will be a record scratch in, in the intro that will, or in the trailer. Right. Mm-hmm. That will be like, you thought we were doing this again. Uh, and it'll be, um, who's an equivalent, <laughs> To Nikki Glazer, uh, it'll be Paul Shear, um, and <laughs> <laughs> Paul Shear will be doing it. God, I would pay money. I would pay twenty dollars a month just to have Paul Shear do this <laughs> to host F Girl Island. Yes. Oh my <laughs> God! Can you? It would be so good. Uh, have you ever seen Burning Love? No, I haven't. Oh, you need to watch it. It is a parody of of dating shows from the early 2000s like the in the mtv style ones right um it's a parody of those and uh but it's written by that like comedy 
crew. It's like a bunch of state members and they're all in it. And, and it's like The Bachelor in that there's one guy and then like 25 female comedians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all these women are, they're all doing the most unhinged, you know, like single note performances. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Very funny. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it in 10 years. It might have aged like uh, milk, but mm-hmm. I remember it being very funny. Anyway, that's what happened at the end of F-Boy Island Season 2, a, a twist that I could only call hussy-like in its uh, inability to actually matter for me. <laughs> Great. Excellent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Welcome back if you fast-forwarded about five minutes. Yeah. All right. Well, with the, with that out of the way, with the F-Boy Island update out of the way, uh, yep. maybe I Tune should... Tune back in for Season 3 in a year. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna, we'll be done with this show by then, but we'll bring back Homestuck Made This World just to talk about F Boy Island. Yeah. Um, uh, with that out of the way, uh, I guess I'll summarize what we read for today. Jane returns home, extremely upset after a bad day. She receives a message from Calliope in the past, who this one time broke her rule of synchrony to send Jane a birthday present, the code to her magic MacGuffin. This is heartbreaking. Jane has been using her Crocker Corp tiara-based computer, a device through which the Condess now tries to mind control her. Jane ditches the tiara, and so misses Roxy's message that Calliope is dead, but okay, but in danger, which is a thing you can be in Homestuck now. Using the code of Calliope's MacGuffin, the word Ouroboros, written in the style of her typing quirk, Jane deduces that the code for Caliborns is the same word written in his style. She alchemizes both items, creating a set of large suckers, one red and one green. This is strange. The suckers are magnetically attracted to one another and snap together into a red and green swirl lollipop. Jane finds herself compelled to lick it, and as Gamzee looks on, Jane transforms into the hyperactive, candy-themed entity known as Trickster Jane. This is wonderful! Trickster Jane blasts off, miraculously reawakening most of her dead planet as Act 6, Act 5, Act 2, the most zany act of Homestuck begins! I can't do it. No. I can't unleash Clown Michael. Not again. Wait, was this Clown Michael? Yes. You know, I never went and listened to that episode when Clown Michael apparently appeared. Mm-hmm. So this is really my introduction. Yeah. That's scary. It was, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Go go listen to the it episode of Just King Things to listen to to uh, <laughs> recognize the original reason I let Clown Michael up from hell into my body. Oh, no. Anyway, the world doesn't need that. Jane flies through subspace as Caliborn looks on from his monitor tower, at first skeptical, but very soon he becomes ecstatically delighted at her trickster antics. Jane finds Jake and proudly announces her new peach skin tone. Jake is eventually overjoyed, turning trickster as well, and he and Jane declare all their problems solved. They vow to get married and have kids. Then they fly off to Purpo in search of Roxy, who has used her ring to turn invisible and sneak out of prison. Nevertheless, they find and tricksterize her, and then they all vow to get married and have kids. They decide to get Dirk in on the action, and Roxy passes on tricksterdom with a kiss to a very reluctant Dirk. Even though Dirk is too depressed to be fully zany, he still wears the silly clothes and takes part in what follows. 
Everyone vows to get married and have kids. The tricksters go to Roxy's house and get drunk, while Aerosol Sprite and Arqueous Sprite get into an argumentative apology to Fafetta Sprite that causes her to explode. On January 23rd, 2013, the tricksters celebrate Christmas, alchemizing the Warhammer of Zillihu and other legendary Zilly weapons, which all turn out to derive from Cherub mythology. The tricksters make a bunch more useless crap, and then the narrator, who's had enough, jumps forward to later, when Jane wakes with a hangover on her slab in the quest crypt on Prospect's Moon. Caliborn objects to skipping over the best content he's seen thus far, and begins arguing with the narrator, wrecking the website once again with the magic crowbar. The narrator placates him by promising more tips on how to advance in his quest, but also takes some time out to try and explain character development to Caliborn, using a strange metaphor that entails thinking of fictional characters as game constructs. The narrator compares trickster mode to an invincibility power-up that provides advancement but does not provide struggle, challenge, or, consequently, growth, which is the point of adventures. Caliborn doesn't care anyway, and the narrator informs him all adventures are also about learning teamwork. To his dismay, Caliborn must now work with Gamzee to unlock a set of dual screens, which doubles the width of the MSPA webpage, showing two panels or more at a time. The Alpha Kids all have hangovers in their respective moon crypts. Jane and Dirk talk over Jake's thoughtlessness. Jake feels they must hate him and tries to apologize to both via Roxy, but Roxy isn't speaking with Dirk since she is ashamed at relapsing, not to mention that her long-simmering feelings for him as the only other human in the post-apocalypse culminated in a forced kiss. In his jail cell on Prospect, Jack Noir receives another pumpkin filled with contraband, this time from Gamzee, with an invitation to play a game. The pumpkin contains the magic crowbar, a handsaw, a set of knives, and Lil' Cal in his felt suit. Jack gazes into Lil' Cal's eyes, putting him into communion with Caliborn. Jack suddenly gouges out his own eyes with the knives and replaces them with Lil' Cal's, which have morphed into flashing billiard balls. Jack saws off his leg and uses a golden spike as a replacement, and thus a character we can call Jack English blows open Prospect with his new rainbow laser breath. On Purpo, the Condess descends from her battleship. Simultaneously, she and Jack English destroy the crypts on Purpo and Prospect, resurrecting the kids as god-tier maid of life, Jane, Page of Hope, Jake, Rogue of Void, Roxy, and Prince of Heart, Dirk. On Jake's planet, the fourth wall is finally breached. Jake and Jane are confronted by Jack English, who is terrifying. Suddenly, Jade appears and teleports him into the furthest ring. She has time to greet the kids and introduce herself before the Condess springs her trap, using her troll psychic powers to mind control Jane, who turns evil. Jade then teleports Jane's tiara computer onto her head, which now successfully mind controls her and turns her evil too. Jade then teleports to Purpo and sends Dirk into another remote point of the furthest ring. She subdues Roxy as Jane subdues Jake. The Condess gloats in stunner shades as curtains fall on Act 5, Act 6. Wow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what a story. Incredible stuff. <laughs> Just incredible. Definitely could understand all of that as it happened visually on the panel. <laughs> and did not require any kind of clarification after the fact. Mm-hmm. You were told with a deafness of visual clarity that I found refreshing and <laughs> powerful. 
I mean, that was your comments to me the entire time while you were reading. You were like, wow, this is so easy to understand and visually parsable, I believe is what you said. Yeah, it's just so decompressed and uh, the trickery of the uh, screens definitely never got in the way of actually understanding what the hell is going on. No, I, uh, yeah, I absolutely hated reading like the last, I don't know, 100, 100 panels of this or whatever. Uh, I think this is some of the worst visual storytelling so far. And I think that in a broad sense, I get the sense that Hussey is very tired of working on this project. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just in general, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it has been very funny uh, to me. I, well, funny is not the right word. It's interesting, I guess. To use uh, the appropriate cyan nigh term, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, it's been interesting to me to see uh, over the past couple partisodes as they've gone up, or the past few partisodes, I guess. People who listen to the show kind of keen into like what seems very on the surface to me, uh, you know, uh, in terms of um, the cherubs as kind of poking the audience a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, the the before us. Trolls mm-hmm. being deeply poking, you know, at at the fandom and uh, prodding them in in ways, and it's very funny to 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 see uh, people being like, "Oh, I never really thought about it that way before," because I, that's like all I can see. Uh, you know, there's other content to it, right? But that is so on the surface and kind of so in your face that uh, you know, I imagine being deep in the fandom uh, uh, at the time, in particular, might have taken you the other way, but. I kind of, uh, I, I see the visual language here going that way, and then everything that happens with this trickster mode stuff, right, is like, uh, Hussey could just draw themselves with two big middle fingers up, and that would have saved us all a lot of time, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems more efficient to, uh, to write a text chat where they're like, and you can, and you can go fuck yourself, and you can go fuck yourself, <laughs> because, uh, you know, we've talked about hostility before, but... Damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with trickster mode that needs to be unwound a little bit. Um, oh, you know, let me say, yeah. sorry, before we get into it, let me say, right, to connect up those two thoughts, because I realized I just, I did not do that. It's from both angles, it seems like, Hussey is just tired of working on this thing, right? So, from one angle, it is hyper decompressed art. Weirdly enough, it is not, uh, it's not really reused art, right? So these are all bespoke panels, but they're bespoke panels that tend to have a singular character in them. They tend to be replicated, you know, uh, uh, circumstantial simultaneity, goofery going on here, right? Uh, but it's single panels, big pieces of art that, that don't communicate a whole lot of action, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, um, weirdly fan arty looking, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but fan art often loves to, like... Uh, you know, where a comic book, a traditional piece of, of published art, right, might have uh, things in contest with one another in the art itself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fan art tends not to, right, uh, for, for various reasons um, that, that probably have to do with, like, the the purposes behind fan art, right? But So it's like, you get Jack English, and he's there, and he's doing the thing, and we get this, like, kind of POV from somewhere else, right? Um, this master shot, I guess it's not a POV from somewhere else. It's kind of master shot of him, but like doing nothing, right? Just like being in right. the world, mm-hmm. and then like we get an exploding image, right? The it, uh, the the art here is just so um, non sequential in a lot of ways, right? Right. And so to me, that's like I want to draw these things, and I'm okay with drawing these things, but like doing storytelling with them, I'm not so interested in, 
right? Like you can figure out the gutter on your own. Right. Um, let the gutter function do its thing. And then trickster mode is like the narrative version of that to me, right? Where right. It's like you want you want all that shit that <laughs> that you keep talking about. Here you go. Have a good time. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it, you clown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, when you're talking about, like, these, like, the, these panels of, like, Jack English, do you mean something like, uh, what is this, 4-8, or, no, 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 5821? Like, kind of his big reveal image where he's, like, standing in front of, uh, like, the moon in the background? Yeah, 582, oh, yeah, so, so, I mean, this is at least some, like, sort, it's a reveal page, right? But I'm thinking about, like, uh, let me scroll over, okay, so, um, 5829, right? Like, Here's the condes. There she is, right? Like it's an image of her. Mm-hmm. She's got a bunch of got a bunch of hair. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Here's a close up. It's the next one. Here's a close up of her, right? Mm-hmm. Here's another image of her uh, in on the next panel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another image of her. I mean, I do like the split panel between her and, and Jack English, right? But it's like it's so hyper decompressed. I don't know. I just don't. It's not for me. Yeah, the the whole, uh, you know, act six, act five, act one times two combo, which is what this thing is called in like the banner of the website. Right. Um, Is uh, like on the one hand, uh, historically, I was happy to see this come up because when when the website started getting tricky with its panels and layouts and stuff back during late act five, um. Those were things that I was really interested in. I was interested in seeing how, like, Hussey could tell uh, multiple stories through uh, multiple panels at the same time. So this is, in one way, kind of uh, uh, revivifying that. And at the same time, uh, it was a little disappointing because it seems to revivify it, but without any of the verve that was going on in Act 5. Or, like, what verve there is is very little. So, you know, like you, I think that the, like, split, like, Condes, Jack English uh, setup, like, that's pretty cool. There are a couple of um, interesting moments where we see, like... Uh, the like the the different groups of kids on Purpo and Prospit on like both sides of the screen and then they're like having their conversations in the pester logs beneath. There's something interesting to me about that, but it also never quite builds to um I don't know, really, really the heights, I guess, of Act Five. And part of it is because I agree with you, a lot of the art just seems to be kind of like big badass poses. Um. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, like hero poses. Right? Yeah. Uh, in I, 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 isn't that the actual comic book term? I guess I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I think it is. I think that is the comic book term. Um, but like these, sing- you know, like Batman triumphantly over the. Uh, you know, whatever on on a building, Gotham behind him, right? You know, in these like kind of like uh, uh, you know, single full bleed images. I think so. Mm-hmm. And anyway. you know, that could be a th- like those could be things that could be single images and kind of like what happens when you make them these uh, dual image spreads or in some case like almost six image spreads is that it's just the same image but really really big. Which is like, okay. Yeah. Isn't that cool? You don't think that's cool? Uh, I mean, maybe it's cool the first time, right? But, like, I can only see so many big images before I'm like, okay. I like these big I mean, you know, I I think part of it, too, right? You know, you got to be aware of your subjective position in these things, right? Like, 
I I'm after things occurring and these are like pages upon pages of of weirdly enough one cool plot thing occurring right which is like they're blowing all this shit up and that's interesting that's moving things along in a in a way but also this weirdly enough the speed at which that happens is very slow mm-hmm. right like it's really happening but you know I also know you know we've read from people in the discord or we've seen on twitter right you know people sharing these stories about like when the hero, uh, uh, you know, version of all the or the uh, the god tier. Sorry, I keep saying hero, <laughs> but when, like when the god tier versions of characters uh, are revealed, that being like huge for them, right? You know, and like their whole friend group coming together, mm-hmm. you know, to be like, oh my god, let's look, let's check it out, <laughs> right? And so, you know, on like fifty eight forty nine, like all the images after this, this right, which mm-hmm. is like all the alpha kids getting there. Um. Uh. You know, whatever their god tier thing. Yeah, their god tier outfits. To me, that was just like, yep, it's a bunch of kids wearing pajamas again. Like, <laughs> boy howdy, isn't that interesting, right? Right. Like, uh, but I know that within the fandom, at least for some subset of the fandom, perhaps a younger group of the fandom, that was like, this is like catnip, right? This mm-hmm. is like what they're in it for, right? It's like canonically, we are getting the designs for these classes, right? And God, the full reveal is so goofy to me, right? Like this, the like on uh, 58, 59, mm-hmm. to me, it's like, oh, it's this kind of like, you know, cinematic thing. You get all these like kind of partial shots, all these inserts, right? Of like different parts of their design. Right. These are taken the... from Cascade, right? This is when Rose and Dave right, get right, uh, uh, right. God tiered in the green sun. These are the exact same sort of like shot maneuvers that are used in motion there that are now here static. Right. And then you get the actual images. Of them floating. Mm-hmm. And it's goofy as hell. <laughs> yes. It looks silly. And like Jake is in a Speedo. Yeah, do we know why? I mean, uh, they comment on it later, but I don't know why. So this is one of those things that uh, I don't know off the top of my head. At least they're all not wearing full ankle length skirts. <laughs> you know, at least we've moved out of that era. At least people have differentiating clothes at this point. Yeah. Uh, So the thing about Jake on like a meta level that people are saying uh, is they're like, oh, Jake is just the token female character except a boy. Hmm. Right. That there's like some sort of subversion here happening of like the sex object character. Uh, And right. 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 And so like because everyone has like a crush on Jake uh, for whatever reason. um, And then also like because of the kind of character type that he is in Homestuck, he's a page, which is also uh, what Tavros uh, was. Mm -hmm. Right. So people are like, oh, okay, there's like some sort of like uh, a resonance here between these two types of characters uh, being kind of weenies who are also, for whatever reason, the objects of affection for a bunch of people. Uh, And then also like they uh, uh, we didn't have this term or rather like we had the term, but it wasn't in in the zeitgeist at the moment. Um, The the himbo, right, is one of the ways of reading Jake. Even though, you know, he doesn't have, like, a, a big buff body type or anything. He's got, like, the same skinny, like, generic body type as all the other characters. Um, but there's this way that uh, the page, like, little speedo thing is this bizarre dual maneuver that is, one, um, just another way to further humiliate page characters who are, like, universally, and I, you know, in our two instances of them or whatever. I think there's a there's there's a page probably in the Dancestors, but who cares about them? Um 
right. universally presented they're, as... They're coming back, right? I'm going to have to remember all their names, right? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Uh, uh, the, okay, final, the final battle uh, is actually a gigantic interactive JRPG battle, like in uh, the end of Final Fantasy VII, and you have all these teams, and you've got to uh, maneuver all of the Dancesters around. Okay, cool. Yeah. Good. Good. I'm glad I I'm glad I memorized all their names and power sets because I think that's going to be important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so uh bizarre dual maneuver whereby pages are kind of like always put in positions of a little bit of humiliation. Um and then two, this kind of thread of Jake being an object of well, Jake being objectified, uh, but right. like ironically objectified. So when he gets his god tier reveal, of course, we get the shot that like frames his crotch with his little like underwear. And I mean, I don't yeah. know, like you can write whatever you want in your story, but uh, it's just it's very silly. <laughs> it's very silly. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's that's what's kind of going on there. Um, the other interesting thing about that, I guess, uh, if we're going to talk just a little bit more on like reader meta level uh, is the way that this. Mm, parallels or contrasts with the way that Jade gets talked about. Um, uh, And it's funny because in like the Something Awful thread, for example, way back at the beginning when Jade is kind of being introduced, uh, nobody talks about her like this at all. It's only kind of as we get into Act 5 and sort of beyond that that this talk starts showing up. And I'm I'm thinking it's probably like uh, percolating over from Tumblr or something. Uh, but the way that people read Jade is that she is traditionally the type of character that would be recognized as a Mary Sue, uh, especially in her relationship to like the original kids, because, you know, there's we get these uh, three characters who are introduced and then there's like this fourth character who's always coy and happy and uh, she's kind of a klutz because she's always fallen asleep. Uh, but she she knows things. She's got special powers and access to things that means that she knows things that other characters don't, and it's all going to be okay. Uh, and then kind of her arc uh, in, in the first half of the comic, at least, ends up being about her, you know, losing all of that stuff and then, um, you know, working her way back up into the point where she's, you know, a god tier first guardian. Right. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I uh, it's very funny, too, that you that you mentioned, like Jake being kind of the token, you know, kind of this flipped role mm-hmm. right, of the like the female character of desire, because that that's like a fandom imported thing, mm-hmm. not a thing that really shows up in very many works. Right. Right. Like like this dynamic. There's no team dynamic in the Hunger Games. Right. Uh, there's th- this dynamic doesn't show up in Harry Potter. Mm hmm. Right. But I, I imagine it shows up a lot in the fan works around those things. So so it's interesting the way that fandoms are importing or talking about or talking through frameworks that are like developed wholly outside of works, mm-hmm. right? Rather than in, in, internal to them. Right. Yeah. It's its own discourse. It's almost like, wow. <laughs> Powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, and then there's, there's trickster mode, which is hugely controversial. <laughs> Oh, I want to hear about it. I want to hear how... Because I got to it, and I thought, this is the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. It's <laughs> hilarious. Uh, but only in the most mean-spirited way, right? Like, it's it's so rude. Uh-huh. Oh, you know what? I, I will say this. Let me let me, let me me give a little bit of a shout-out. I did think the image that was really cool was on 5903, the, like, mind-control thing. 
oh yeah, Jane uh, getting the the mind control tiara on, and we have like obey, submit, and consume right. written behind her. Yeah, I thought that. I think this is a very cool image. Mm-hmm. I like the uh, like fading like digital cyberpunk shit that's mm-hmm. like phasing in and out here over at the circuit board stuff. Right. Uh, I think it's cool. It's like it, we were talking about. I think in the last part episode about like this kind of like uh body horror kind of adjacency showing up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Here's a little bit more of it. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think this looks neat. Well, interestingly enough, this is also where the tricksters come from. <laughs> uh oh. so if you want to, Cameron, uh in your in your reader app, uh go to page two hundred and fifty-three. Two fifty-three. Yep. Way, way no, back. No additional no thousands involved nope, in that? Nope. Just go to two fifty-three. Way back uh in in early homestuck. All right, one moment. Two five three. Oh, okay. No thousands place. Nope. Okay. Two fifty three. Uh, here's Jake. Oh, we're doing a walk around. Yeah, that's that's the first walk around where John can walk oh. around his house right after he enters the medium. Uh, yeah. All right. Now hit uh control T. Oh no. Yep. What is this shit? So this is where trickster mode comes from. Uh, For those who aren't reading along uh, or don't have the app open in front of them as they're listening to this show, uh, uh, trickster mode is essentially debug mode in in the first sort of like series of flash games. Um, people, when we first hit this in our reading, people were like, you know, talking to me, they were like, well, why didn't you point out trickster mode? And my decision to not do that, like I would, I would have talked about trickster mode if for some reason you had been fussing around and like hit control T, uh, and discovered this. Um, but rather than doing that, I decided to like, let us naturally move forward in, in the story and replicate the experience of many people in the something awful thread, uh, which is what the hell is trickster mode? Because it's basically an Easter egg, right? When you do this uh, on this panel, it's, it takes the little John walk around, uh, and then John like turns into, you have your normal John Sprite. And then he turns into uh, this, like, a weird smiling, like, he's been colored in. He's got, like, uh, shining blonde hair. He's got, uh, uh, you know, like, uh, 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 like, Caucasian skin, right? He's got, like, a peach Mm -hmm. skin tone. Uh, He's a little white kid. Yes, he's a little white kid. And he's got, like, a giant sucker, like, stuck in his hair. And he's sort of giving this, like, impish, mischievous smile. It looks kind of creepy. Um... Yeah, it's uh of a style of the time, I would say. Mhm. Uh, the the kind the kind of uh goofball. I mean, it's like a family guy thing. Yes. It's, it's it is it is the face that family guy characters make when they're doing something zany. Yes, it is. It is a family guy face. Yeah. It's got like total Peter Griffin vibes here. Right, right. Yeah. Um and the uh like um uh art eyes. Uh-huh. Where they're like squinting from the bottom like ooh because they're uh uh, the dimples in their cheeks are going, right? Yeah. It's, it's like straight up lifted out of Family Guy. Right. So this is just, uh, uh, it's a debug mode, a little Easter egg mode in the walk around. And uh, in the fandom, it becomes common whenever there's a flash update for people to try to find trickster mode, which is always like the debug room. Uh, and they don't always have a character turning trickster in them. This was a piece of, uh, this sprite of like trickster John was a piece of fan art from the forums that uh, Gankra, uh, I guess, decided to just, like, use as part of the signal that you'd activated the debug mode. Hmm. 
this so so that happens uh finding the debug mode or the trickster mode in subsequent flash updates or like walk around updates specifically becomes kind of this little game with the fandom and there's always like other little like uh uh you know funny things or like little uh uh like jokes hidden in there the whole thing about trickster mode is that it's a it's a game sort of level construct or sort of like uh you know just just a thing that is in the comic and it builds up its own little like sub fandom so uh along with all of the body horror stuff that i mentioned in the last part episode uh another thing that has been very consistent throughout all of my tumblr digging is people doing trickster fan art so you know a new character shows up and it's people being like oh man i wonder what you know trickster solix looks like here's my idea for trickster solix um, hmm. so all of these, all of these sort of iterations of these characters are being produced. Uh, the tricksters are also, uh, very popular for cosplayers. Um, and the kind of fanon idea around the tricksters is that they are, uh, I mean, they're murderous, right? That's, that's the idea for that. The fandom really settles on is that, uh, you know, you'll see a lot of like these, like the, the four original kids in like trickster mode, like floating around, and like covered in blood splatter, right? And then uh, people who are cosplaying it are doing the same thing where it's like, uh, here's one uh, animated gif of all of us in our trickster mode cosplay, like running around in a circle. Uh, and then the second uh, gif in the set is like them all running at the camera, but they have blood splatter on their faces. Uh, or there's like some sort of like glitch effect, right? Glitch horror is kind of uh, starting to, to become a thing here as well. Um, so that's kind of where uh, the trickster stuff sits in the fandom. And then here it uh, gets canonized as uh, an actual thing in the comic that is uh, refigured, not as a, a debug, but as a, a game power up. If we're to go with the hussy narrator who who explains this to Caliborn. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's that's like trickster mode. Uh, that's where it comes from. Uh People hate this when it's posting live. <laughs> really? Uh, I mean, I get why they would, because it's actively saying, hey, uh, what if you got everything you wanted and it sucked? Mm-hmm. Which, ironically, is... Uh, maybe not ironically. In fact, uh, notably, that's the never-ending story. Yeah. <laughs> what if you got everything you wanted and it sucked? I, that's the back half of that novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have even said those words in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's the other thing, right? Is that this is where some never-ending story stuff starts really coming to the surface. Because uh, let me figure out which panel this would be. So this is Jane with the tiara top. Mm -hmm, she makes the sucker. Uh, on page 5706, when... I believe this is when it happens. 5706. Six. Okay, so, yeah, it's actually the next one. So we see Jane holding the suckers, right? They're, like, attracted to one another. Uh -huh. Then you yep. pop over to the next one, and they snap yep. together. Watch those suckers carefully, Cameron. There's some sort of thing in there. Yeah. Uh, it is, if you take this uh, GIF and you decompress it, the little image that shows up in the center of those suckers is the symbol of Orin from The NeverEnding Story, which is the black and white snakes in an Ouroboros, right? Each one biting the other's tail and in an infinite loop. Um, oh. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
now, that's not to say that this thing necessarily is Orin, or if it is, uh, or like that we should read it as Orin, but I think there can be something useful teased out here comparatively. Um, well, I mean, literally the symbols in there. I mean, I, I, know, what you're, I know what you're saying here, mm-hmm. which is like, it's not literally the thing from the never-ending story somehow transposed across, you know, universes to this thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. But it's literally the symbol for Orient, right? Like, like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, uh, it's like, what if we, what if Harry Potter himself showed up? Right, right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, my name is Harold Potter. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little lovable goofball. Well, do you remember what the Orin did I in the Never? Alley. <laughs> what? Do you remember what the Orin did in uh, the Never Ending Story? Do I remember what the Orin did. Um. I know they had to go get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, he was running around with it. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't remember what its exact function was. It's been a while. Right. So Oren is, uh, if you've seen, if you've just seen the film, you might not uh, get this. Um, but the book makes it uh, not exactly explicit, but the book provides a lot of interesting like detail about Oren that the, the film just doesn't give you. So the Oren is uh, like a, a medallion. Um, that the childlike empress wears. Mm-hmm. The childlike empress is uh, uh, the like central figure of uh, Fantastica, the um, the sort of magical world in the book that Bastion uh, is reading about and then goes into. Uh, and it's kind of like the Aslan, if you're familiar with that stuff. Yes. Right? It's kind of like the heart, the conceptual heart mm-hmm. of uh, the whole fantasy world. Just by the by, sorry to interrupt, Michael, mm-hmm. but by the by, if you want to hear us talk about this for a very long time and you haven't listened to it already, you can go listen to the never-ending story bonus sode mm-hmm. that we have. It's on patreon.com slash range touch. We read the book. We talked extensively about it. You know, so all the background for all of this beyond what Michael's about to tell you, you can go listen to. It just happened like six months ago, so I don't have my definition of Oren right on the dome. Right. right. I'm, I'm sorry. So the Childlike Empress has it, and I believe at the beginning of that book, she gives it to um the the kid right right? well here's what's funny she doesn't she gives it to chiron her advisor who is the main character until he gives it to atreyu the kid who is then the main character the Orin is the marker of the focalizing character in the narrative yeah. Right. Yeah. Like in uh, what uh, Chiron says to uh, Atreyu when he hands it over, he says, um, Auron gives you great power, but you must not make use of it for the childlike Empress herself never makes use of her power. Auron will protect you and guide you. But whatever comes your way, you must never interfere because from this moment on, your own opinion ceases to count. For that same reason, you must go unarmed. Uh, you must let what happens happen. Everything must be equal in your eyes, good and evil, beautiful and ugly, foolish and wise, just as it is in the eyes of the childlike empress. You may only search and inquire, never judge. Always remember that. Um, and so when uh, Atreyu wears uh, Oren, uh, he ha- he basically has plot armor, right? He is always put in danger, but as this warning sort of tells you, right, you don't have to, li- like, never judge, never think anything is evil. You don't really have to fight uh, because you are safe, um, right? Like, right. Oren just sort of, like, ports you through uh later on uh when well and and if you do go armed, i mean the implicit the flip side of that right is if you go armed it changes the kind of story you're in right right it changed it you're achilles now mm-hmm. and that that might not work out for you exactly uh, that, that that's really interesting i didn't think about that at the time i don't think right and later on um 
uh, Atreyu is injured when he's uh, uh, trying to fight Gamork, the wolf, uh, and he loses Orin, and he stops being the focalizing character. Uh, Falcor, the luck dragon, finds Orin, and then the narrative switches to Orin's position. Or, or uh, yeah, like the narrative switches and follows Falcor, and Falcor is looking for Atreyu, and it explicitly says in the text, like, he's tired and he wants to stop, but like the power of Orin makes him keep searching until he finds Atreyu. So uh, it's it's a like it was it talks like, you know, specifically the words are about like his body keeps moving even though he wants to stop. Mm-hmm. So that's how Orin works. Blessing and a curse. Yes. The possession of Orin. Mm-hmm. That's how it works in the first half. In the second half of the Neverending Story, Bastion, who has been reading uh, the ne- the book, the Neverending Story, he gets pulled into the book and then he is given Orin. Uh, and his proviso is different. Uh, he can use Orin to make wishes, and he can wish for whatever he wants, uh, but uh, with every wish he makes uh, about like the world of Fantastica, he loses a memory of the human world. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a conversation that he and Atreyu have eventually in, in sort of like the, the midpoint of the second half, where Atreyu says like, uh, you know, Oren doesn't work on me the same way it works on you because you're human. Um, and I don't think, like, Atreyu says, like, I don't think something bad is happening, right? You are losing your memories of the human world, and uh, I don't think that's right. I think you need to be careful. And Bastion, of course, ignores this warning uh, and then makes all the wishes until he loses Oren and uh, loses all of his memories of the world outside of the book. So this is like all of that stuff, right? The Orin as the marker of uh, the reader's kind of um, uh, uh, presence in the text, right? Like when you are focalized, like when a character has Orin, the reader gets focalized onto them. Like that's Bastion, right? Reading about Atreyu or whatever. And then when the reader takes Orin, which is to say when the reader becomes the main character in the story, uh, they get to do whatever they want in the story. But in so doing, they lose touch with like the world around them. Right. That's kind of like the big moral fable of the never ending story that. Uh, yeah, the, the, the moral fable of the never ending story in the end is that narrative is powerful, but dangerous and must be wielded and, and engaged with appropriately. Right. Um, one must learn how to be a good reader in the world. Mm hmm. Uh, what Homestuck supposes is what if uh, the person who got pulled into the story did not give a shit and wanted to be an awful person and was committed to never learning anything? Right? Well, kind of. <laughs> what if they... What? Yes. I mean, that is the most uh, negative way of putting it. Uh, the... I, I mean, yes, you were correct. Uh, <laughs> but the, the crinulation or the additional comp- wrinkle there that I would put there is that it is um, that ultimately here, Aaron is a marker of selfishness, mm-hmm. right? And that selfishness, I mean, there's a reason why it's it's Calibor, it's born of, right, these two lollipops, when they are combined, is born of Caliborn selfishness of, like, wanting everything he ever, or getting anything he ever wanted, right? And d- making demands that suck, that, that no one wants to fulfill, and yet they are they are forced to, and then uh, Calliope doing the same thing, right? But they're all positive things, mm-hmm. you know. And when and there is nothing that is more brutalizing than this combinatory moment when they smash together on this panel. 
Uh, because the comic is expressly saying that those are the same thing. Mm-hmm. And we have and we have said a few times, right? Like they're they're two sides of the same coin in the sense that they are uh they're both types of fan that are very strong types of fan. One that uh that uh wants to get anything that they want, but for fulfillment of character arcs, whatever, right? That's the Calliope thing. And then the other is, you know, uh Caliborn's is um flash interactivity violence mm-hmm. eroticism right it's all of these kind of um uh i don't know like uh, unhealthy bad right like i'm not saying that but i think the comics position it that way right uh, unsavory is probably the best word right mm-hmm. like why you know put uh, demanding that uh, very specific like erotic outcomes happen right in a comic that's not really built for that mm-hmm and so, uh, I mean, this this moment, right, is saying, yeah, that's the same thing. Like, these are not two types of fan. You know, obviously, we've always we've had the thing they share the same body, right? Mm-hmm. But now the comic is saying it's not that it's two types of fan that share the same body, two types of fan that are kind of two valences of one another. They are literally the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are not axiomatic poles. They are the same substance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's stakes to that. Right. They're uh, mirrored versions of a similar, like, fandom extremity. Right. Or, no, yeah, they are the mirror. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, they're not, they're not too, because I think the way that you can read the cherubs is like, it's two completely oppositional ways of engaging. Mm-hmm. And what's fun about that is the mirror, as you're talking about, right? The flip through the mirror. But this is saying they are not oppositional in any kind of way. They are the exact same thing, and we pretend that they are oppositional. They're a swirl pattern. They're the saw. Right. Right? Uh, you want to play a game. So, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I do actually like the, just to talk about this panel, I really like the uh, strong divide that, that happens with the uh, little uh, lollipop here, right? That's, that the panel split is aligned along the axis of the... Uh, the lollipop stick oh yeah the the uh, red and green get uh split yeah. yeah i think that's cool and it like moves in the pa- next couple panels yeah it's good stuff um but yeah no i mean this is just legit like hey i'm uh you know this comic is being held hostage to fandom interaction that is what is being said by the comic right uh the other thing from the never-ending story then that's getting reprocessed here is the uh late game thing that uh bastion does with the acharis and the shlamoofs uh, oh, those little, like, evil jerks. Yes. They're not evil. They're just enthusiastic. Right. So this is sort of like the the late game. Uh, Bastion gets pulled into the never-ending story. He starts making all of these wishes, and he goes on all these adventures. And then it slowly starts to curdle and sour, right? Things start getting bad. Um, and kind of one of the first big movements in, in the wizard's quarter of the book is him encountering a species of uh, Fantasticans called the Acharis, who are called, like, the Eternal Weepers. Um, because they are so ugly, uh, and so like hit, like just so hideous. No one likes them. No one wants to look at them. That all they do is they live like in the darkness underground, and they just weep constantly. And in at nighttime, they like crawl out of the ground and they build like the most beautiful and intricate uh, silver filigree. Right, they make these beautiful things, but they themselves are ugly. And I think like uh, their their tears become the silver that they make, or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, Bastion encounters them, and they're all crying. And uh, he's like, "Hey, what's up?" And they're like, "We're the Acharis, and everyone hates us. Uh, could you could you help us?" 
Um, and he's like, sure, like, and he uses his, he uses Arryn to, to make a wish, which is a way of saying, like, he uses Arryn to assert his will into the reality of Fantastica. He says, from this point forward, you are no longer the Acharis, the Eternal Weepers, you are now the Shlemoofs, the Eternal Laughers. And the next morning, um, they have become, uh, these, like, uh, weird little clowns with, like, butterfly wings, like someone else we know, Honk Honk, uh, and who are all like they're like tearing down the elaborate silver filigree that they've built, right? They don't care about it. They're like uh, using it as monkey bars, and uh, they are completely uncontrollable. And they're constantly like hollering at at Bastion, and they like won't respect him. Um, but then later on in the book, they show up again. Uh, by the time Bastion has really started to lose all of his memories, and they're like, "Hey, uh, it turns out that you changed us in a way that uh, means we don't know what to do with ourselves now. Because before we were the Acharis, you know, like we were the Eternal Weepers, but we built our silver filigree. But now we're just like laughing and playing all the time, and we don't know. Like, uh, we we need guidance. We need someone to be our king. So you're going to be our king. We're going to take you and uh, make you the king of the Shlemoofs." Um, and Bastion does not want this, and he eventually escapes. Uh, but it's a similar, like, it is a similar kind of move, right, of uh, Bastion learning, like, uh, sometimes you can't just wish a problem away, or like, like, like the, the simplest solution, right, to just, like, brute force your way through, uh, like, these, like, weird little creatures' emotional problems uh, maybe isn't going to work out well for them or in the long term for you, and that's, of course, uh, another way that uh, Hussey tries, like, the Hussey narrator tries to explain this to Caliborn, but with uh, in relation to uh, the kids, right, the alpha kids, uh, as the the Achari slash Lamoofs, um, and also as kind of video game characters, uh, if we want to kind of turn to to that weirdness here. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, I I, I may be uh, uh, speaking a little out of pocket here. Um, Uh-oh. I mean, no, 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 but I just mean, do, do you sense weirdness there as well, right? The way that this ex- explanation from the narrator tries to... Um, not even tries to the way that it just kind of talks about video games and narratives as if they are the same thing. Uh, give me the exact panel. I didn't write a note for it, but I want to be able to look at it while we talk. Okay. Hold on. Uh, uh, this is five, seven, eight, one. Um, and this is just, Mm, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and Caliborn says, you know, uh, the narrator says, Caliborn, let me explain something to you. I guess it falls to me to teach you these life lessons because as unpleasant as the idea is for both of us, I am the closest thing you will ever have to a father. You see, teenagers are sensitive and beautiful creatures. Well, not you. You are repulsive. But most teenagers, I mean. You can't just force them to settle all their issues with insane psychotropic game power-ups. They have to face all those issues themselves or they will never learn and grow as people. Who cares? Well, you don't, but human beings do. The journey itself is more important than the destination. The struggle is what builds character and teaches us about ourselves and about life. Bullshit! I did them all a favor by giving them my juju. They were doing, they were going nowhere and being stupid and doing literally nothing whatsoever except for wallowing in grotesque emotions. Look how much great stuff they got done because of me. Of course you think you're doing them a favor. You're an alien, right? And this is, this is a, an interesting mm-hmm. move, right? Like, uh, the reader, uh, uh, proxy here is also being figured as like in text like an alien who's just going to have different opinions on this stuff 
Right. And so is your sister. She thought, yeah, but she thought this would be a great boon for everyone. But cherubs are predisposed to all that trickster crap. Um, but that kind of stuff is freakish and disturbing to humans. Those aren't our ideals. Uh, furthermore, that could only be seen as a boon from an asocial species. So here the hussy narrator is sort of explaining this again within the fiction uh, in terms of uh, like these like uh as if like these, as if cherubs were a real thing, right? As if that like would right. rationalize <laughs> like what is happening here. Um, but then it's 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 actually truly making up a guy to get mad at. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, what if I invented a species to put all of my my bad thoughts about like bad readership onto, and then called them stupid? Yes, <laughs> right. And he's uh, you. Uh, the narrator says, using an item that lets them start maniacally powering from point A to point B isn't doing them any favors. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like when Mario gets the star. You know when Mario gets the star? Who the fuck is Mario? He's a small Italian plumber who goes on sideways adventures. He jumps on stuff and bops bricks with his head to save a princess. What's Italian? What's a plumber? Never mind what an Italian is. It's just a kind of guy on earth. And a plumber is a guy who fixes load gapers. What's a load gaper? Shut up. Anyway, sometimes Mario's running sideways, he gets the star, and that makes him magic and invincible. Oh, you mean he becomes Trickster Mario? Yes, but less stupid. So, for a while, he becomes flashy and hyperactive, and nothing's challenging anymore. He just barrels over... Um, but the point is, he didn't really win. The magic star was actually devastating to his development as a human being. Uh, and then eventually, <laughs> the narrator says, like, maybe Mario isn't the best example, right? right, right. <laughs> so we go through all of this... Uh, using like the language of video game mechanics to explain like uh, narrative and character growth. Um, and then we kind of like renege on that a little bit. The whole point just trying to be like, uh, you know, H Hussey trying to say to like Hussey, the character saying explicitly to this character, Caliborn, like, here's your problem. Here's what's going on. But on the meta level, this seem this reads as Hussey, uh, like the, author of the comic trying to talk to some element of the readership or of the fan base and uh, basically saying like you you want to power through all this right you want everything to happen all at once you want it to be uh you know uh just action and incident and development and uh, uh people powering through stuff uh but you mm. need to take uh your your foot off the gas you need to like go with the flow and understand that there needs to be like struggle here and character development and and you know read through all these pester logs or whatever because this is you know a thing with caliborn is he hates reading the pester logs he hates people sort of like talking to each other about their emotions and everything and uh right but because in the fiction caliborn has trouble reading yeah right like it, it becomes difficult to take i mean this is kind of my feeling about this whole conversation right is it's like too uh i i think i take the hussy less seriously than you do here or less intensely because if hussy does not know what they're doing here meaning if they well Sorry, let me let me rephrase this. Sorry, I, I started three different things here. If we read this as a one-to-one -one, uh hussy talking to the audience moment, mm -hmm. right? Which is which is what, what you're suggesting here. Um, if we read that, then Hussy has to be one of the most oblivious people on the planet. Um, and the reason I say that is that Caliborn is explicitly figured as a character who literally cannot interact with the comic correctly, mm -hmm. right? And I say correctly in terms of, like, the way it's presented, right? Caliborn has literally trouble reading. 
Caliborn seems to have some sort of difficulty even understanding representational art. Mm-hmm. Like he he both cannot read like text and cannot read the image. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That so those things are there. He he also is given bad materials, right? So like he doesn't have access to the whole comic. He's only shown what he's shown whenever. And he's given a bad tool for doing it, which is just like a mouse that doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, I mean, we talked about that. I think last part of episode, part of episode before that, somewhere in there. We talk about that, that this is like a, an interesting moment very similar to, to Vriska, right? Of like humanizing, even though he's a cherub, not a human, but but characterizing, you know, what's up with Calibor? Mm-hmm. And if here in this scene, he, that Caliborn is just a audience stand-in who needs to be preached at, then, then Hussey has beclownified themselves <laughs> <laughs> in terms of what they are trying to accomplish with this law. Mm-hmm. And I say that thinking you're right. <laughs> like, I think you're correct. I think that Caliborn in this instance is just a, an audience stand-in and the trickster mode stuff is just a, hey, people who want plot to happen and want us to get rid of everything that's not action occurring and video game mechanics and all that kind of stuff, you are missing the point of what we're trying to do here. Mm -hmm. Right? I think that's true. I think you're right. I think your read is correct. And so I guess what I'm saying is I think that Hussey deeply misapprehends and and deeply uncharitably uh, apprehends the people who are reading this. Right. And I can, and, and like, I think that makes sense because there are, so many readers and there is so much response and that response is happening in so many different quarters. I mean, something that you and I have found out doing the show, which is fascinating at this point is that every single time we post a partisode and may, and often make a claim about, or not us, you make a claim about here's what's happening within the fandoms that I can perceive right within Tumblr, Mm -hmm. within something awful, whatever, the past four or five partisodes, someone has come out of the woodwork every time to say, yeah, that didn't happen. That didn't happen in my, like, uh, like quadrant of the world, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, I didn't see that. Here's what, what's happened. Here's what happened, right? And they don't mean it in, in a corrective way. I think most people mean it in an additive way, mm-hmm. right? Like, here's something you didn't talk about. Here's how we perceived it. But there is a fascinating rhetorical replication there of the way that that is asserted, mm-hmm. you know, regularly, right? Maybe we don't say enough on the show, and, and maybe we should. I, I just think it's implicit, right? That, like, when we talk about what happened historically, we're always talking within, um, you know, several different frameworks of, like, partial information, mm-hmm. right? It's only in the threads that we can access. It's only in the parts of the fandom we can see. And it's only in a a, a, a fandom who was talking publicly, right? right? Which is not even all the fandoms. You know, there's all kinds of private modes, right? So, so these things are always whatever we can access historically. Right. Um, uh, but so it's fascinating. And, you know, the reason I say that is like all of that's true, right? Both what we say and then what the people are saying about their historical experiences with the comic, that's true too. Those are both mutually true. Mm-hmm. You know, they are not exclusive to one another. And so Hussey is on the end of a fire hose of that exact thing right. all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Of like... Just getting blasted in the face by um, competing interpretations. Yes, right. Which which is a fucking nightmare. And so I understand exactly why you would do this thing that is here. Right. Right. Like I understand why it would be so tempting 
to tell essentially a big chunk of the audience to fuck off. Um, and you know what I mean? Cause that's what's happening here, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't understand what happens narratively here is what is what the narratorial character is saying. And, and it's the most like uh rude ass Socratic dialogue <laughs> I've ever seen. Right. <laughs> like Caliborn is, uh, is the, the, the rudest Glaucon who's ever lived. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. He's just getting roasted constantly. He's there to get punched in the face repeatedly by the hussy Socrates. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I get why it's happening, right? But the frustrating part about, about it for me is the seemingly unawareness that on Hussey's part, or the uncaringness on Hussey's part, that they have both created a characterization for Caliborn that makes makes Caliborn highly pitiable mm-hmm. and makes us able to kind of empathize with him a little bit, right? Like, he's, he's an alien who cannot access the thing appropriately and doesn't know how to do it and is the villain, right? right? He's, like, genetically predisposed to being evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, <laughs> which is, like, some fiction-ass shit, right? Like, that's not real in the real world, and yet that's the character you have made. And then to put him in a chat log where you treat him like a real person. Right. <laughs> right. As if he has like real opinions in the world that aren't that aren't just manufactured, right? This was our frustration earlier in the comic, all the way back, that that I think uh, you know, ruffled some feathers when we were like uh we were talking about the uh commentaries, right? Mm-hmm. And that Hussey's idea of character fundamentally presents some problems. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them, mm-hmm. right? Like Caliborn is a series of semiotic operations that are communicated between the author and the audience. And eventually that obviously gets bigger with audience contributions to that, right? That That's what we might call in the, the cultural studies tradition as a circuit of culture. It gets bigger and way more weird. It's obviously not just author audience, right? Mm-hmm. But it, fundamentally at the bottom, there is someone who makes a thing and then there are people who interact with the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a feedback loop that occurs there, right? Mm-hmm. Um that is what characters are. They are born in the feedback loop. Mm-hmm. They are material moving around in history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are human interaction, thought, man- manipulated, right? They are nothing other than that. They exist in no space other than the phenomenal interaction between things in the world and other things in the world. Right. You know, they don't live in space. <laughs> <laughs> they don't live in perfect little bubbles, right? They're not Simone de Beauvoir's, you know, God, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, like, uh, it's not platonic. I mean, we even get that replicated here in the same thing, right? And this is, I think, Hussey trying to to have it both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a material audience interaction that is true, but also there's this other numinous thing that that gets beamed into the world. And you need to be a good receiver Mm -hmm. of the numinous thing. And talking back in a way that I don't like uh, means you are not mentally ready or mentally capable of accessing the numinous thing that needs to go through its like structural pieces, right? So you can really understand the struggles of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's a uh, it's a fascinating maneuver. I gotta t- I gotta tell you that, but I, it is not one that I find convincing. I find this extremely pedantic. And uh, I, having now monologued for five minutes about what um, narrative is, I now will call someone else pedantic <laughs> and say. <laughs> And say that I just think this is a bunch of bullshit, right? Like, it's Hussey trying to have it both ways through this character form. Um, and I don't find it very convincing at, at, at all. I think I think Hussey has beefed it fundamentally here. Homestuck made this world ad break. 
Wahoo. Oh, no, I lost camera. Ed, oh. No, I'm here. Sorry, okay. I was reading a review. <laughs> Just making sure you're still here. Uh, I'm here. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Homestuck Made This World. It is part of the Range Touch network of podcasts. You can learn more about us at rangetouch.com. That's where we uh, centralize all of the shows that we do. And you can also follow us on Twitter at rangetouch uh, or subscribe to our videos at youtube.com slash rangetouch. We do all sorts of cool things uh, in the mode of Homestuck Made This World like Just King Things, where we read the books of Stephen King in publication order, uh, Game Study Study Buddies, where we talk through books of academic game studies, and uh, Too Much Future, the the series where Cameron and I are playing through and talking about the Fallout franchise. All lots of fun, and uh, if uh, you're curious about any of that stuff, you should definitely check it out. And something else you should definitely do uh, is support us on Patreon, because producing all of this stuff takes time and effort and research uh and we love getting money for it it helps us it helps us a lot or it helps me a lot i assume cameron lives the life of an ascetic on top of a mountain or something yeah i put it in a cannon and i fire it out over the valley yeah okay cool um so anyway uh if if you want to keep uh Cameron's cannon firing uh, you should mm-hmm. definitely support us at patreon.com slash range touch there's all sorts of bonus content for our shows there uh, notes for game study study buddies bonus episodes for just king things and bonus episodes for homestuck made this world referenced throughout uh, this particular part episode you're listening to uh, the never-ending story and problem sleuth are two things that are up there um, and also like movies that homestuck is borrowing from and the fan adventure prom stuck uh, if you want to hear us talk through kind of homestuck adjacent things uh in that context uh definitely definitely worth checking out uh any any support you can provide helps however thank you so much another way you can support us is by telling folks about this show we uh, spread by word of mouth, um, and these are kind of the these are the ad breaks, right? We're not uh, being sponsored by anyone else, so uh, it all all comes down to you. It, it rests on your shoulders. Uh, please tell people about us and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. And in particular, if you leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, that is also funny. There is a chance that Cameron will read it out loud during an ad break, like so. It's from is the name of the person who did it. I don't know what Homestuck looks like. To my knowledge, I've never seen a single frame of Homestuck. If I have, I didn't know what it was. Listening to this podcast has made me almost look it up, but at this point, I don't think I need to. (laughs) I like that. I like the idea that there's someone out there listening to the show who has no idea what any of the things we're talking about even look like. Mm -hmm. Like you could show them Space Jam, and they'd be like, is that Homestuck? (laughs) It sort of is. Yeah, it's a little like that. That's it. That's what I got. All right, cool. So yeah, like give us those reviews, those beautiful five-star funny reviews. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and thank you for supporting us if you already are and please consider supporting us if you are not. Uh, And otherwise, I will let you run back to the show. 
I think I agree. And I think historically I agree because I'm glad that you revisited all of these topics. This is, you know, this is one of the reasons why early on in the in the first part episodes, I made a big stink about the fact that I was using the Something Awful thread, not only because it was kind of at hand for me, um, but because, like, that is the record or, like, the, the closest approximate record of, like, my experience with this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, like, sort of the attitudes that I really associate with Homestuck and its fandom, right? Those were the those were the things that I was keeping an eye on. Uh, so, uh, you know, that that's still true. Like, that didn't stop being true or anything. I said it back in, in part of so, you know, 1-1 or 1-2 or whatever. Uh, but, like, this is, like, a sliver of the Homestuck fandom. Um, and the reason it is so important for me to think about it through something awful's lens is precisely because of this character of Caliborn, which, you know, just to be like totally explicit here, like is the thing that is keeping me reading, uh, because, uh, you know, I have recognized some aspect of myself in Caliborn as someone who used to be a very petulant kind of, uh, a hateful anti-fan, who in the process of reading Homestuck had this strange moment of like flipping over and realizing like, oh, this is actually like fun and people can have like good times together and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then, you know, and that happens very, very shortly after uh, like the beginning of Act 5, right? Like by the end of Act 5, like I'm basically all in on this. Um, and so it's weird it's a weird experience for me then a couple of years later to have this Caliborn character show up who demonstrates to me like rather irrefutably that even though I've changed my disposition, like the feelings and thoughts and kind of um, responses that I was a part of, like those have persisted in other parts of the fandom, right? There are, there are other little uh, historical Michaels out there who didn't have that flip over, who are still being kind of uh, petulant and shitty. Uh, and Hussey seems to take, you know, re- doesn't necessarily recognize like the flip over or anything, although actually they do in, in, in uh, some forum springs and on some Tumblr responses. They've, they've talked about mm. um, seeing like people's fan reactions like flip like this. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, taking like taking that kind of persistent, I don't know, antisocial aspect of the fandom, condensing it into a character and then trying to talk back to it or around it or about it, uh, like it, it it's a audacious move. Um, and so I'm really interested in seeing historically, like, what is Hussey going to do with this? And then we get to this moment and it ends up being pretty disappointing because I still remember what historical Michael was like and historical Michael's problems were not really like I was not the way that I was because I didn't think Homestuck uh, didn't have enough flashes or interactivity, right? Like my hostility uh, came from other places and fandom was a kind of space where it worked itself out on other people. Uh, And I was, I was all for like, you know, just like, Hussey's going to update how Hussey's going to update you. You shouldn't be complaining about uh, the pace because Hussey's the person making the thing, right? That was always kind of uh, my apprehension of it. And of course, I'm one person. I'm not statistically significant. But like when I'm reading this update historically, what I think in my mind is like this is this would not persuade 
uh, Michael from uh, at this point, like two or three years ago. Right. Like Mm -hmm. this would uh, if if this is uh, some way of trying to talk about this uh, uh, phenomenon within the fandom. Right. This antisocial aspect or this hostility. um, Historical Michael's the kind of shitheel who's going to dig in on it. Right. Like you you chastise me. I'm going to get even worse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, not to say that like that's necessarily what happened, but it does strike me at the time of like, oh, this is sort of just disappointing because uh, you know, Hussey has this moment of potentially doing something interesting with like fan reader interaction. And what it boils down to is delivering uh, platitudes about like what stories are. Right. And, and you know, and there's obviously some um, self-awareness here. Right? Yes. Because the end of it is like, it's Caliborn being like, I, I don't care about that. And I'm going to keep hitting things with the crowbar. Right. <laughs> which, which is very funny to me. Right. But, you know, so, that, you know, that that's the kind of uh, beauty of the hussy move, right, is that it is always self-undermining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is so monologue and so, and is purposefully not put through the voice of another character, right? It's, again, through the the unembodied hussy narratorial voice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, you know, that's, it's, it's the biggest uh, megaphone that we've seen so far in a, a comic full of big megaphones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I, it, it doesn't seem to me like this is going to go into a place. Well, I, there's two places it could go. Right. And especially within hussy's uh, narratological form, which is actually fairly limited. I think mm-hmm. uh, Caliborn will either be the big evil Right. Mm-hmm. And like, we'll do all kinds of like rude shit in the same way that that like winged Jack Noir did mm-hmm. for like forever and just kind of recede into the background as all kinds of other shit occurs. And, but we'll uh, rear his ugly head whenever it is convenient. Right. Mm-hmm. Or uh, kind of like Lord English is right now. Right. This world historical nightmare who just appears every now and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, universe historical nightmare. <laughs> or Caliborn will be redeemed. Mm hmm. Right. Right. That's it. Those are the only two options, I think. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Because I I really, it is so fascinating to me, uh, the, and I'm using this word not in uh, the like pejorative sense that is normally used in like internet shit, uh, but like in the technical sense of the term, right? Like there is an aggrandizement of to hussies like own speaking to their narratological form Mm -hmm. that is actually very small, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the the outlets and the ways that they think about ending stories or completing stories is very formulaic and is very little. Mm-hmm. Um, things can be redeemed or things can tragically end and then get shunted down the road. That's the only thing that has happened mm-hmm. to anyone in this entire comic. Um, and, I, and, you know, that's like whatever it is, right? Like, it's worked, right? Um, it's the, with these teens with big feelings. That's what makes people happy. Yeah. Um, and... So I'm curious to hear, uh, after we said all that, I'm very curious to hear, like, where people are, where the fans are with this, because, uh, again, it's like, you know, you create a trickster mode, and it's basically, like, all the trickster mode interactive stuff basically is like, hey, you want to paint by numbers. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to hit the keyboard n- buttons a lot? Mm-hmm. You know, as like a piece of criticism, they're very funny. Yeah. Right. Like they're 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 very uh you know, spitting in the eye of the audience. But as a thing that you make for your audience of dedicated hundreds of thousands of fans, I, I don't know, you know, if that's the best thing to do. 
Um, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But uh, but I'm curious about how people took that. If they if they took it as like a fun joke, or if they took it as directly, you know, hey, fuck you, buddy. So what is <laughs> all you Caliborns running around? <laughs> so what is really interesting about the something awful thread, at least, uh, is that uh, no one people like when people get upset about trickster mode. Like there, there's another reason people get upset about trickster mode. By the way, we'll we'll get to this, um, but. Uh, kind of uh, shooting from the hip, people are getting upset about trickster mode because it represents like the flip over to act six, act five, act two, like enrages some people like, oh, fuck, we're going to do another sub act like I can't stand this comic. Why does this keep happening? Uh, this is taking too long. This doesn't seem like it has anything to do with what uh, the story is. This is a complete derail. Like, why are we doing it? Uh, I hate this comic. I'm going to stop reading it. Uh, <laughs> like, that's the stuff that's being said in the something awful thread is like uh, uh, it's it's a uh, rage at the very development, not even really about the content. Although they will say like, it's, it sucks and it's like unpleasant to look at. And it's really annoying because all of the sounds are, uh, extremely obnoxious. Like it is, if you're not reading along, like it, it bears repeating, like the trickster mode, uh, sub act is specifically designed visually and sonically to be the most obnoxious thing. Like, it's just uh, 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 ridiculous. Um, and as Cameron was was talking about, there are these little flash interactives uh, that are unlike anything that's really shown up in the comic before, uh, where like you're floating Jane through like subspace and it's like mash the space bar and you hit the space bar and she like whacks around with her little lollipop and she hits like these horror terrors that come floating in and she hits them and they turn into squiddles and then there are like um, little like cherubs uh, and when she hits them with the trickster mode thing they turn into creatures that look a whole lot like little Cal. Hmm. Hmm. Think about that. Mm. Um, wow. Uh, but like, it, it's a rail shooter, right? Essentially, like you don't have to do this. The, the flash will end no matter what there. It doesn't affect the ending. Like, uh, similarly, when she turns Jake trickster, she does this by kicking him in the crotch and like knocking him off a cliff. Um, and how you have to do this is you have like you, you mouse over the panel, uh, and Jane is like your trickster Jane is, is like your mouse and you have to like deploy her, like drop her into the, the panel and then she kicks Jake. Uh, but there's like a specific outline where you have to drop her. You can't drop her anywhere. You have to put her in like one specific place and it's like deploy the crocker. So it, it is this really fascinating move where it, offers the the like possibility of interaction uh but it is also like so wholly scripted that the interactivity doesn't really matter right you're not really making a choice right. you're just doing the thing that was designed for you to do uh which is uh something that's come up increasingly in act six whenever we get like the choice to um read between like two different characters right whenever we get a character select screen the caption and i've talked about this the caption is always saying something like wow you can't believe how much free will you have right uh in, in choosing which one of these characters you're going to read next as long as you read both of them because otherwise like the story is not going to make sense because you've skipped part of it uh and it doesn't even get that specific right it it, it just sort of says you have to read it all but you can read it in whatever order you want um, so there does seem to be, uh, like 
the other thing, I guess, the other way to put this is that, like, uh, Hussey is sort of, like, chastising um, the certain segments of the audience, but uh, for things that proverbially made Homestuck popular, right, which is, like, rapid development uh, of the plot or, like, you know, rapid sort of uh, things happening, right, Uh, uh, lots of incident, um, and quote-unquote interactivity, whatever that means. And uh, as we get further into the comic, I think uh, it becomes clear that like a lot of this late-game stuff uh, with the cherubs and everything hinges on this idea that uh, there is a group of readers or like some sort of subgroup of fans or, or there's like some sort of fan response, right, that Hussey gets um, mm-hmm. that suggests that, uh, you know, there are people out there who don't really understand, like, Easier way to put this. The fans don't really control the narrative, right? Andrew Hussey does, right? Andrew Hussey is the one who is choosing what goes into the comic. Andrew Hussey is making the panels, is writing the text. Uh, and there are people out there who are reading it, who are making demands of Andrew Hussey under the aegis of this idea that the fans control the story or that, um, you know, the fandom in some way has control over the narrative and what happens. And it seems like Hussey is in line with that idea or like Hussey clearly like wants to fold in audience response. It keeps happening, right? (laughs) Like, uh, but that folding in audience response is not audience control. And that seems to be kind of the difference here or like the one of the differences Mm -hmm. that Hussey is trying to make clear, but also maybe doesn't make it as clear as they could. Right. I mean, can, can can I float a very pragmatic uh, and yet deflationary um, idea here? Sure. How many projects has Hussey completed prior to Problem Sleuth? One? To my knowledge, uh, maybe a few zines. Is the Granville... Harlequinarium completed. What is that thing called? What? Comic book? <laughs> what, what the was hell that are you talking called? about? The comic book that they did. Oh, oh, uh, Whistles and the Starlight Calliope. Oh. oh, yeah, there you go. No, uh, that was... Uh, oh, that was not completed? Yep, ends on a cliffhanger. Got it. Mm-hmm. So uh, so just Problem Sleuth and some zines. Yeah, as, as, as far as I'm aware, um, a lot of Hussey's output prior to this has been uh, like sort of just gag comics, right? Here's a like, you know, Human Animals is a series of gag comics with no plot. It's just uh, kind of iterations on a punchline or whatever. Uh, in terms of narrative... Uh, you know, we have, you know, Unfinished Wizardy Herbert, we have Unfinished uh, Starlight Calliope, we have uh, two unfinished MSPA uh, uh, mm-hmm. attempts, and then Problem Sleuth is the third one, which does get finished, and then we run into Homestuck. I think they just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I think this is just like, I know we've talked about this a few times about wheel spinning, mm-hmm. but... The wheel spinning that has happened previously has all felt like Hussey just gets in in the character groove and is wheel spinning to kind of keep the characters pinging into one another, right? Like mm-hmm. stuff is happening, just not plot stuff, right? Right? Like not not uh, uh, you know events, mm-hmm. um, but just interaction, right? That's the way I've used that term before. 
this feels like wheel spinning in that there is no progress that the comic can make that has not already been done before, right? Like, what's going to happen here? Like, the alpha kids are just going to run into the same shit that the other kids and the trolls have also run into before, except everyone's going to be together now, and so they're all going to do the same shit we've done already, Mm -hmm. while Hussey continues to, like, lecture at another character about the way this works in the same way that Doc Scratch lectured at another character about how this all works, right? Like, where is there to go? Mm -hmm. Uh, And in terms of, like novel things, novel topics or ideas that the comic has not already ground into dust, right? Like, I just think the thing is done. Like, the the ideas that we... We are now at the precipice of what appears to be the same ideas happening again. Yeah. And, and this is a comic that's about things that happened one time happening again. It's about repetition, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as I've said before, right, for Freud, that kind of repetition is called trauma. Yes. <laughs> you know, in a very direct way. Actually, yep. literally, that is what it's called. Um, and so here we are. We're just doing it again. I just don't, I don't know. Are people still reading the comic? I know somewhere around here is when we start seeing the precipitous drop off of, of engagement with this comic. Because uh, you've told me this before. I think we talked about it in the last part episode. But like, are people still caring about this thing? I just, I can't imagine reading this live. <laughs> uh, and I think it's interesting. I'm like, <laughs> I'm in, right? Like, I'm doing the show on it. I, I think we've talked for an hour and a half of interesting conversation about it. I'm in, but good God, I just don't know what I'm going to be talking about 15 partisodes from now. <laughs> well... Uh, so a couple of things, uh, January of 2013, which is, uh, strangely, uh, coincides with these trickster things, right? That's when this is all happening. Um, by the way, January of 2013. Yeah. January of 2013. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's when, uh, the like Google index or whatever for Homestuck peaks, right? From this point on, it's like on a downslope. Um, interesting. The I uh, the just on that point also I want to say it is so fucking funny to me that the tricksters do the Christmas thing of like the Christmas <laughs> alchemy binge but they do it on January twenty third like a month late it is so good <laughs> that is very funny to me and also they make a bunch of shit no one wants yes but and and that's also like I mean God just what a what a fuck you to the audience right of like this is a thing that people really enjoy they they legitimately think it's like a fun thing. It's a thing that I don't get, but based on what you've been saying, like people love it, uh-huh. right? And it's an excuse to like play in the toolbox. It's just like making GI Joes, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, wouldn't it be cool if for like making Magic the Gathering cards, right? Like, wouldn't it be cool if Aragorn was a magic card or some shit, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is a thing that people like, and then they make a bunch of of, of like zilly hoos, and then like a bunch of Santa Clauses no one wants, right? <laughs> And it's like this is not it's not what people are into, but like and and Hussey knows that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but yeah, it's such a fuck. It's a fuck you with no payoff. Mm-hmm. Like you really got them, buddy. You really showed them what's what. Like I, it just doesn't feel. I don't know. I'm sure for some people, because every time I say that something is hostile to the audience, some people point out they were in on the joke, and of course, some people are in on the joke, mm-hmm. right? But some people are not. And those people might not be very vocal about not being in on the joke. And they might be kind of passive fans who are looking forward to the thing that they have been told sequentially is coming up. And then it doesn't show up. Mm-hmm. And instead you get the, like a massive middle finger. Might as well just put that in front. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but yeah. it is very funny. I, I mean, I think the joke is funny. Yeah. But it's I can't deny that people, it definitely would not be a nice joke. Yeah. Uh, so the the... 
that aside, uh, 2013. Oh, you know what? Can oh. I, I'm so sorry to interrupt one more time. It, let me let me say a thing that uh, I saw last night that really uh, impacted the way I think about Homestuck. Can I tell you that? I almost okay. forgot until just. It, but it's very appropriate to say right now. I was watching a skateboarding documentary, mm-hmm. as one does, and they were talking about the early 2000s, like this this time period, 2005 to like 2012, 2013. And they were talking about how that was a time in which like youth culture, this is not the language they're using, but this is my summary. Okay. There was a time in which youth culture was kind of predicated on, especially in this post-jackass world, right? And kind of a post-family guy world too, right? Youth culture is predicated on the fuck you joke. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all friends, but I'm going to, like, harm you in some way. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that one skateboarder who they particularly liked, he was cool because he didn't do any of that. He was, like, a nice person in a way that, like, all your friends, the way they thought being nice was at that time, was, like, pranking you and, you know, being a little bit mean and insulting you, like, in a friendly way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, uh, snark culture, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes physical snark, which is bullying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And maybe snark is too, right? And they said that was the refreshing thing about him is that he didn't do that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this was the era of that. And Homestuck is like so of that era, mm-hmm. right? Of the cruel joke is like the fun thing to do. And so this is in the waning, and 2013 is going to be in the waning moment of it. But if you told me that, say, I don't know, a slightly older individual whose sense of humor was formed in a slightly early era continued to do that and thought it was very funny, I wouldn't be shocked by that. But anyways, sorry. Well, I'm going to have... Uh, 2013, it happens. Jan- January 20th, or 2013, it happens. Yeah. It's all downhill from here, you were saying. Well, I mean, what, uh, Google Google Index, like, goes down from this point, right? This is apex moment for, like, Google searches for Homestuck. Um uh, I think for whatever reason, I remember checking this a couple months ago. I was like, you know, fiddling with the with the doodads, and I guess mm-hmm. at this point, the the state like of the United States, the state that was most frequently searching Homestuck was Ohio. Do with this information mm-hmm. what you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So that starts happening. Um, definitely, like I. I remember during this trickster update specifically, I had a friend uh, who had been reading the comic with me since basically the beginning who was like, I'm not reading this anymore. I can't stand this. Uh, Right. Uh, There are people in the thread who are extremely upset about it. As I said, there are other reasons people are going to get upset that I have not even broached yet. Uh, But it does seem like um, something is happening, right? Like the, the burn is, is cooling a little, uh, the next part episode, which I've already done, uh, some of my reading and research for, uh, has only 100 pages of something awful posts associated with it. Um, and up until this point, I have been reading maybe 200, sometimes 250 pages of posts, uh, per part episode. Mm-hmm. So like that is a like the the amount of posting on something awful gets halved. Now that might be wow. because people are like moving to Tumblr to talk about it or something. Mm-hmm. Um right. but it's still or on Twitter, right? right. I mean, you know. Mm-hmm. T- Twitter is expand the 2012-2013 is like a radical expansion of the Twitter user base. Yes. So uh that that might be one of those reasons, right? Like the something awful as a forum is kind of becoming passé. Uh but it's still notable. That 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 is even people who have been discussing it in the thread are no longer coming to the thread to discuss it with kind of the the frequency with which they were. Um, 
you know, it also might be moving online or something. Uh, but that that's kind of happening. Uh, and then the other kind of big blow up here is on page uh, 5723 in the middle of the trickster interlude when uh, Jane uh, comes up and, well, actually, I should tell this in a slightly different way, but you can go to that page anyhow. Uh, what, what was the page? Can you say it again? Uh, go to uh, 5723. 5723. Right. Okay. So I'll, a little bit of uh, runway here. Peachy. Yes. So when Trickster Jane is first revealed, uh, people are like, well, damn, she's got a skin tone because Hussey has made mm. such a stink prior to this about the characters being like coloring book white. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to the extent of going back and editing the comic to remove references to race, right? Right. Uh, which has, by the way, been undone by this point historically. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Like that was done. And by now that's like gone. Um, mm. So uh, people are like, damn, Jane's got a skin tone. Uh, and she's like, she she looks white, right? She's got, uh, like, just like the trickster John, uh, she looks like a little white kid. Uh, and someone asks Hussey on Twitter uh, about this, and Hussey replies that all tricksters are canonically Caucasian. <laughs> yes, which, uh, and this is... I like the idea that you would be backed into the corner to say something <laughs> like that. Uh, so Hussey says that uh, immediately... Uh, the fandom starts getting kind of head up over it. and Oh, of course. Of course right. they do. And then, After all this like buffoonery around all this stuff. <laughs> and so then when we get to page 5723, uh, what this looked like when it originally went live, how it how it works is like Jane has cornered Jake um, and he's like, oh, my God, what's what's wrong with you? And she says, right. I feel so alive. Uh, I'm, I've gone back a couple panels just to read this. I feel right. so alive. I feel so dot, dot, dot. And then the panel is like this close up of her like maniacally grinning face. And you open the pester log. And currently it's a giant flashing uh, uh, peachy. Uh, and there's like a little like a uh, slot machine above it with like these little uh, fruits with faces on them that Jade had back in her house way back in act mm-hmm. like three or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and like the peach has been highlighted and then Jake is like, there's like a shitty drawing of Jake, like screaming and he's saying, no, originally peachy was just the word Caucasian. Andrew, Andrew, why? (laughs) It's like, uh, you're walking down the street Mm -hmm. and you see, uh, pristine sidewalk Mm -hmm. and a huge dog turd (laughs) and you think I'm going to step in that. (laughs) I'm going to get these Nike Dunks fucking ruined. Yeah. Because I, I, it's funny to me. Mm-hmm. And you start laughing. And all your friends go, oh, my gosh, dude, you stepped in poop. Uh-huh. Don't step in the poop. Don't step in the poop. And you go, I, but isn't it funny? Isn't it funny to step in the poop? And they go, no, it's not funny. We're going to the restaurant. <laughs> we don't want to smell the poop. And they go, but isn't it funny that I stepped in the poop? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not funny to step in poop. Mm-hmm. Um. So just a, a couple of observations here. One is that trickster mode also in general is a resumption mm-hmm. of a joke from Problem Sleuth, which is the candy armor that the three uh, main characters of Problem Sleuth get at kind of like the the like two two thirds point or something mm-hmm. of, of Problem Sleuth. If you remember that, if you don't, mm-hmm. you can go over to patreon.com uh, range, slash range touch, subscribe and uh, get our bonus ode on Problem Sleuth that we recorded forever ago. But, um, so there's that. This is also conjure candy armor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also weirdly enough, another kind of, uh, 
unintentional but maybe intentional uh, reference to the never-ending story uh, where uh, one of the things that happens when Bastion gets pulled into the book, one of the kind of first wishes he makes is uh, he changes his race. Uh, do you remember that? No, I don't remember that. So I, mean, I believe you. But. Yeah, he he starts out uh, implicitly. I mean, implicitly, it's never like it doesn't say Bastion Balthazar Bucks was a little white boy, um, <laughs> uh-huh. but like rather implicitly because of like the the <laughs> composition and reception, right? He's he's a little white right, boy, right. Um, and he uh, gets pulled into the story. And one of the first things he does, because he, he the other thing about Bastion is that he's like he's a fat kid. He's kind of a nerd. He gets bullied. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's very unhappy with himself and his body. Um, and he wishes to be someone cooler. And what this ends up meaning is that he transforms into what the novel calls a quote unquote oriental prince. Uh, oh, right, and his right. skin color changes. Right. And he gets like thin and hot, basically. Uh, so. Uh, there, and that's like presented as like a bad thing overall, like, cause it's, it's not immediately a bad thing. The novel seems to just take it kind of in its stride, but it does overall become part of like the way that Bastion is like losing himself in the story, losing sense of his memories and like who he actually is. Um, Mm -hmm. and part of the imaginary there is, is very much like the like European, uh, fantasy mode of like Orientalism straight up. Uh, so this move uh, with the tricksters is interesting because it kind of like tries to revert that or like invert it by making uh, the power up turn these kids white uh, and also having Caliborn be super into it. Right. So this is another like little drop in the Caliborn bucket of like conflating various uh, things like uh, conflating various reader responses that Hussey's not a big fan of into like one character. Caliborn implicitly uh, loves an all white cast. Uh, but what happens, nevertheless, when this, when this goes up, uh, is all of the little Caliborn fans start, uh, mocking, uh, big name fans who do, uh, uh, art of the characters as people of color, uh, or cosplayers who are people of color, who, uh, uh, you know, they, they just start saying like, look at this, they're all canonically white, you're, you, you've, uh, uh, fucked up, like, you can't do this anymore because canonically these characters are all white, mm-hmm. right? That's what happens. Um, you know, so speaking of, of obliviousness, right, uh, the the uh, fandom then like gets so sort of tense about this with like these these elements who are I think right uh, uh, in a fairly clear way I think uh, you can you can look at Homestuck and what it's doing here and understand that this is an attempt at critique and wouldn't you know it right Caliborn keeps whacking the thing with the crowbar uh, they don't care that it's a critique they're going to use this as a weapon against other elements of the fan base. Right, of course. Um, and so Hussey uh, says, uh, you know, don't like, don't do this. Don't admonish uh, people who have like uh, non-white head cannons for characters and everything. Uh, and it says, uh, uh, as a humorist uh, and someone who writes a provocative and unpredictable story, this is on Tumblr, by the way. Um, there are many types of unpleasant responses to my stuff I can easily accept, but some types maybe not so much. Uh, this is coming up after the the retcon from Caucasian to Peachy, by the way. This is Hussey explaining um, why this happened. The original joke, from my perspective, 
really was a lighthearted jab at the storied subject of race in the comic, and the debates about it over the years. Mainly, I thought the gag was tempered by its utterly absurd presentation, and made so over the top as to compromise its ability to be taken seriously, beyond the pale of usual absurdity even for Homestuck, as has been the case with all this trickster stuff. Trickster mode you've probably observed as a sort of ridiculous game power-up, etc., etc., etc. Um, so, uh, you know, just... Run that against what you were just saying, Cameron. What if someone who was very familiar with kind of older forms and patterns of like youth culture and youth interaction uh, was put into contact with people who maybe don't take the the fuck you jokes that well? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's something that's really fascinating that I never would have learned other than doing the show, mm-hmm. which is that, you know. Uh, someone pointed out on the Discord that Hussey is our age that we are now, like you know, you know, early mid thirties, mm-hmm. making things that are essentially for eighteen year olds mm-hmm. or, or or younger, mm-hmm. right? Teens making things for literal actual teens, and like I work with teenagers or young adults, I work with young adults all day long, and you do too, right? You know, we work on college campuses. Um. And there's no universe in which I think that I could, I would be able to easily, without uh, really doing some research, make things that would resonate with them, mm-hmm. you know, like creatively. I think that would be very hard for me, just in terms, especially in terms of like the uh, generation gap in terms of like media, mediaization, the things that they're interested in, um, the way that they interact with like virtual forms, which is very different from the way that I interact with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I had a, a student like uh, <laughs> last semester uh, come out of class and immediately start doing a TikTok dance, like immediately, like put her phone down in the hallway mm-hmm. and like had to get her dance in uh, because her friends had been sending it to her, I guess, during class. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So it's just like a different that that's like alien to me, not in a negative way, but just that is not how I would ever interact with anything on the planet. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, oh, my friends are sending me this content and I need to respond to my own content very quickly, mm-hmm. right? I won't even tweet like that. Right, uh, right. You know what I mean? That's an old person's thing, you know, in terms of media form. Uh, and so uh, you, part of what's so fascinating here is it's like, it does seem to be someone who's kind of aging out of their capability to interact with the age group that they're most popular with, mm-hmm. uh, but not recognizing that or not realizing it or not having a good sense of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a kind of mismeasure or a mis, uh, mis, uh, uh, understanding, I guess. I don't know a better word. A misunderstanding of like how, how and why the thing resonates with who it does. Mm-hmm. Because I never, when when I was first introdu- introduced to Homestuck, and I was probably, it was around this time, so I was in my early 20s, you know, when I heard people talking about it. Mm-hmm. They were never people who were my age. It was always younger people. We've talked about this before. Right. Um, you know, it was people who were, like, in college right as I was out of college. Right. Um, and, that you know, I never really heard about it other than, like, people posting about it infrequently on the internet. You know, I didn't hear about it as a, a mass media forum, I guess, mm-hmm. until way after that. And so, I, you know, I don't know. It's that's that's uh, it, I guess what I'm saying is like the miscommunication thing explanation of what happened with Homestuck is much more compelling to me at this point. Now that I know, like all of the pieces on the chessboard, as it were. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, it, it is like just historically like this is one of the reasons why I think that the show is f fun to do and valuable because I was watching the stuff happen. I was already older than your regular Homestuck fan and, and you know, by by some kind of willful willful perversity, I was like clinging on just to sort of watch this stuff. Not that I wasn't mm -hmm. interested in the story and in the characters in kind of a general sense, but like really by this point in the comic, I'm interested in seeing like the movements between the the thing itself and the fandom and kind of what's going on there um and th these are these are the things that after homestuck finishes and i sort of see homestuck continue to be a thing you know people are reading because they're you know there's always going to be more kids and they're going to be around to read this um but these are the things that go missing because homestuck as a text uh is like weirdly uh, a consequence of it or a sim like you know the things that happen in homestuck are symptomatic of things that were happening outside of homestuck but homestuck itself does not register those changes or those interactions uh and um i don't know like i wanted to provide some of that or like some sort of source for that for i don't know people who may want to to read the comic in the future uh just mm -hmm. because i i think that understanding what's going on in trickster mode here uh, can only be explained by looking outside of the comic. Right. right. Well, and, and also I guess an interesting thing about it too, right. Is that this, this to me, it seems like it's the first um, inability to read the room mm -hmm. in terms of like Homestuck has done such a good job and Hussey, uh, you know, directing, you know, kind of driving the ship in some ways. Right. Or in always, I guess uh, metaphorically. Hussey's seemed uh, Homestuck has been a different thing for many different people, mm -hmm. right? Uh, over the time, and that's something that I think we've been very laudatory about, right? Is is it has kind of followed the winds of change on the internet in really deft ways, mm -hmm. um, and has shifted over time. Homestuck is not one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are different modes it is engaged with. We've been tracing that the whole time we've been doing the show. This to me is like a, the first like big error, mm -hmm. right? Like the first like misreading of the field, um, or just like try. I mean, maybe maybe Husky's trying to blow the thing up, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the other thing. Maybe they're just tired of doing this and they know they have to end it somehow. Otherwise, they will be you know harried the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe they are actually. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so there's a little bit of just follow up there after Hussey posts posts the. The explanation of the the trickster mode retcon. There is a follow up post because immediately uh, the 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 worst elements of the reader base or whatever, rather than again like sort of hearing this message uh, of I have changed this joke because I didn't like how it was being used in offending people. Um, people are like, oh my god, look at this, look at this. The SJWs have censored Andrew Hussey. Oh no. Yeah. I cannot oh, believe it. No. You've made you've made Andrew Hussey change the art. Oh my god, this is oh, this is so horrible. I can't believe this is happening. Blah blah like USJWs, blah 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 blah. Um so Hussey has to do a follow-up there, uh just explaining again in extremely open terms, uh like I was not censored. I changed like I chose to change this. Uh, you know, I, I censored my, if anyone was, uh, censoring me, right, I censored myself because I did not like seeing what you were doing with my work in order to, uh, hurt other fans. Right. Right. Um, 
And I, you know, that's that's kind of the, the last thing Hussey seems to say there. Uh, but it, it's worth pointing out, like, that this is ma- not only is this, uh, as you say, maybe like the, the first like stumble or like first uh, inability to read the room. But this is also like some of the most forceful and pointed stuff we've gotten from Hussey to the readers uh, in the history of the comic. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the danger, right? Like, if if you if you make a a comic that appeals to like hundreds of thousands of people, and then you even to it in a way that makes you feel better and says something, at least to your mind, powerful to the worst parts of the fandom, the parts that you find most annoying, you have still centered those people. It's the quote retweet of the <laughs> of the. Uh, uh, you know the the tweet dunk, the quote tweet dunk mm-hmm. of uh, of the comics world, right? Like, yeah, you I, you surely did respond to those people, but goddamn, you made everyone else have to sit through it. Yep, and you centered your whole comic around it, and like that's not great. I don't. It's not fun. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I was there anything else we wanted to talk through here? Uh. All the alpha kids. Now are god tier, so we know that we're heading yeah. into the end game because now they can only die at points of uh, high drama. Great. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And, and just anything else at all? Or are we basically? I don't think so. I think that's it. I mean, we've been talking for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um. The 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 Lord English teleporting into Jack stuff. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm sure we'll have plenty of time to talk about that later. I don't. We don't know anything about what that means at this point, so yeah, we've got a just a couple thousand pages left to. to... Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm assuming <laughs> he's not going away. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess yeah. That that kind of just uh, tidies us up for now. Uh, and next time, then uh, I would like you to rejoin us, having read uh, up to page six thousand two hundred forty two for partisode nine three and just a little fyi in terms of raw page count this is the longest chunk of reading i have asked us to do so far that said um it might go a little bit more quickly than uh that fact might uh suggest <laughs> <laughs>